morning, everyone. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We will make it back to John one of these days. We need to start John 5, um, but I, I felt um, it would be good to do this this morning. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you that nothing compares to that. That when Jacob um, prayed, Lord, bless me. And then you met the woman at the well in that same spot. And to know that to be blessed by you is to be deeply fulfilled in you. I pray, Father, that you will dip, deeply fulfill us in you. Everything else leaves us empty. You cause overflow. And I pray, Father, that this morning you would speak to our hearts. Father, we need to not just have sweet words and encouraging words, but we need to have real words, Lord, for life. And I pray, Father, you would take this time and you would speak to us and transform us and enlarge our hearts, enlarge our borders, and equip us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail but when you've come back strengthen your brothers you know it's interesting that sometimes when we uh, address the subject of the devil there are people who maximize it it's just you know they see the devil everywhere and there's others that just live as if there was no adversary, if there was no enemy. And oftentimes, life is about a little bit of balance. It's not the one extreme nor the neither extreme, but what is the, what is the, what is the middle? And the Bible tells us that we must be prepared for that which we may describe as satanic attacks. Assaults, which can at times be unusually fierce and fiery. And Peter says that he wants us not to be, or actually Paul, not ignorant of his devices, the different tactics that he uses. And, after, and afterwards, there was, uh, the, in when, when the New Testament was written, both Paul and Peter mentioned some of these realities. In 2 Corinthians 2.7, it says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, Peter writes years later. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist them, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And Paul writes one of my favorite passages in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 3.1. It says that when he could no longer endure it, 
It says, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. So at one point, Paul is in Athens, and he says, you know what? Just, I'll stay alone. Just go see the Thessalonians. And he sent them, and he says, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Listen to this. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. I mean, Paul is writing to, to these uh, Thessalonians and he's saying, you were going through such difficulties and I was so concerned that the devil was actually going to whisper in your ear, discourage you through the things that you're going through, thinking that maybe you don't know the Lord. I remember, I remember once in London, my goodness, uh, we were just reminiscing about this. About 23 years ago, we were doing outreach in London, and uh, we had musicians, we had the drummers, we had the guitarists, we had the singers, and we were in the middle of Leicester Square. And there's this one guy that was dealing with one of our girls and saying to her that Jesus was black. And I said, well... And, and I went there to kind of get in between so she wouldn't be um, attacked, you know, because he was quite forceful. And you'll see, it, it was quite a complicated situation. And I said, well, I don't think um, Jesus was black, but it's okay. One day we will stand before him and we'll see him. And we can just talk. And we can, and, and, uh, but he was not white. I, I said, well, I don't think he was white either. I think he was Middle Eastern. <laughs> and... Um, and so what happened is that he began to get really angry with me. And all of a sudden, we were surrounded by tons of people all around. And he's yelling in my face. And I'm just trying to stay calm to talk to him. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd, five Kosovans, the nationalities, in, I guess not really important, but five guys uh, from Kosovo uh, came in and they began to punch me. One headbutted me. One, and, and, and I remember Brian kind of doing a, like a, a, he was a golden box, a, a golden glove boxer. And then I, he had one down and then another one was doing a roundhouse kick against another one. It was all so surreal. It was like a movie scene. But the last time I got punched, my eye swelled up and I couldn't see from it. And so I ran. I'm a great fighter, you know. I just ran around Leicester Square, and I went right to a hotel, right through the reception, and behind the reception, and I went into their office and locked the door. And you can imagine the receptionists are like, you can't be in there, you can't be in there. And I'm, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out of here. Police came, and eventually they got me out of there. But it was a really, really scary situation. Why am I telling you this story? This, the, the, the toughest part about that story was not the beatings, the beating. The toughest part of that story is what happened afterwards in my mind. For the first time in my life, the devil spoke to me through the Bible. This is something that we don't realize sometimes. He quotes the Bible. And it was this verse. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So if being beaten was not bad enough, 
The devil took that opportunity to let me know that maybe I, that happened to me because I wasn't a Christian. That was the brutality of the attack. That is the one that disheartened me in my heart, in my soul. I could take a black eye. I could not live with the fact that I might, know the, I might not know the Lord. That that happened to me because I actually think I know him, but I don't know him. And that's what Paul is saying with the Thessalonians. They're going through such a great difficulty that they're questioning the goodness of God, questioning their standing with God, questioning how much God loves them because of the circumstances. And he says, I had to send people to you to make sure that you know that nothing strange is happening to you. How does the devil attack us? Notice it says, oh, actually, it's in 1 Peter. It doesn't say there. Paul says, I mean, Jesus says to Peter, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And not if you come back, but when you come back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter takes that warning, and after he comes back, he writes 1 Peter, and he says, the devil goes around like a roaring lion looking for whom he might devour. Now, we have people from South Africa here, and, and, I, and we have people from Africa here, and I don't know if there's lions where you guys are at or not, but you know what? I was talking to a guy from Africa recently, and they told me how devils hunt. Now, when a devil, when, when a, did I say devils or lions? Sorry. <laughs> I mean lions hunt, <laughs> sorry. When, when, a, when a lion hunts, when he's being stealthy, he, he needs to be stealthy, he doesn't roar. You've seen cats, right? They're felines. So when you see a cat, what, they, what do they do? They kind of go really good. And then they kind of begin to shake their butt, you know, and you're just, and next thing you know, it's just like, boom, they pounce over. But they stay super quiet. They, have you ever seen a cat just kind of move very slowly? And it's like, they don't make a noise. They just, and, and, and it's unbelievable to watch. They don't make a peep. A lion doesn't roar when he's hunting and trying to grab the prey. The lion roars when he wants to put fear into us to drive us in a wrong direction, in the opposite direction to where God wants us to go. I.e., there's the weak one. Some lions are waiting on the other side. And they run right into the trap. Motivated by fear. Think about the pandemic. It doesn't matter what your view is. If you hate vaccines, you were afraid of the vaccine. Other people were afraid of the virus. Other people were afraid of the Chinese. Other people were afraid of the German government. Other people were afraid of the Spanish government. Other people were afraid of, of whatever it was. But no matter where you looked, we were all tempted to be driven by fear. All of us. And the devil loves to put fear and drive us by fear in our hearts. You ever, you ever, you ever had that where you, one day you're just full of faith? You're, you're fine. You're happy. You're joyful. You're content with your life. And all of a sudden you begin to live in what if land. What if this happens? What if that happens? 
And these thoughts just flood. You know, I've been having some back pain in my mind as well, my mind. Today, uh, Pear, I was there in the back. And Pear says to me, hey, can, can we focus? So I walked to the front. And by the time I got to the middle of the front, I forgot why I was walking here. I went there, and then Pear was looking at me and thinking, what is, what is going on? But, but, you get, but we can get afraid of our health. We can get afraid for our children. We can get afraid for so many things. And we need to identify that many times it is the devil that is putting fear. We are not to be led by fear. We are to be dwelling in the land of his faithfulness. You were faithful before, and you will always be faithful. He is faithful. Whether I live or whether I die, I am His. He is faithful. Another tactic of the devil is to make us think that we are the only ones that are going through trials. This morning was kind of an interesting morning because I, I, I came and, and I asked someone, uh, well, I, I saw them coming and, and, and I, just, I could tell something was up and, and, and I said, how are you doing? And, and she began to well up in tears. And then I asked somebody else, how are you? And they began to well up in tears as well. And then somebody said to me, how are you? And so, very well, thank you. And I thought, but actually, that's not true. I'm not very well. I'm okay. But I'm not very well, like completely okay. But, I mean, but sometimes because we say very well, thank you, and we don't really... Share something. Sometimes we can't because we're just passing and whatever. But we kind of begin, he can really tempt us to think that we are the only ones that are going through difficulties. But the moment you you go beyond a superficial conversation into a deeper friendship conversation with somebody else, you begin to realize that a lot of people are going through the same things that you are going through. The other day I said to someone at, um, in Alicante, it's a, a, a pastor friend of mine, I said, I have never felt weaker in my life. I have never felt weaker. And somehow I've never felt closer or, 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 or stronger in the Lord. But as I said that to him, it's amazing. We entered into a realm because you see his daughter has been diagnosed at nine years old with a tumor in the brain. They thought it was a benignant, a benign uh, tumor, but it's, pro- it's the most aggressive there is. And they pretty much, they said to her, they said to him, we're just extending the life. But as I opened up about the weakness I was feeling, he was able to share how he was feeling, and it was incredible how the communion that we had in that moment. And the contrast was somebody at the park that met them and said, well, your nine-year-old has been diagnosed with cancer. You just have to have faith. That toughness, you just have to have faith. And he said, man, my wife and I both wanted to punch her. Sometimes we need to enter into people's world. Jesus, the creator of everything, a man acquainted with sorrow and with grief, came down and fellowshiped 
with people going through difficulties as himself going through difficulties. But you know what? Sometimes just being able to to, um, realize in our lives that we are not the only ones that are going through trouble. And Facebook and Instagram are going to show you that everybody else's life is just perfect but yours. I put a picture a couple years ago, and I, I, thought, I actually put it in the post. It was a, a Christmas picture, and, and Loretta and Arden is just kissing Loretta on the forehead. You know, Jonathan's just looking at Loretta, and, and I'm just there, you know, just smiling as well. And it's such a beautiful family picture. What you cannot tell is that to get to that position, I was like, Arden, if you don't get into this picture and you smile, I am going to kill you. You know, it was just like, I was fuming. You know, and Arden, he's hard to kind of nail down. It's just like, he's all over the place. But you know, pictures don't show those moments. Even when you get a nice photo shoot, Anna, Anna, is Anna here? Where's Anna? Oh, there you are. Even with a photo shoot, you go out there and you post these amazing pictures, but it's hard work to do that. And and maybe you take a thousand pictures that are bad and then you get that good one. Life is not that picture. But the devil wants us to think that life is supposed to be perfect, that nothing is supposed to go wrong. And Facebook and Instagram show us that other people's life is perfect and it's not like that. I remember calling Dave Shirley one day. I said, Dave Shirley. I said, Dave, how are you doing? And now he's a guy that seems to never have a bad day. Just then, one of these calm characters. Always praise the Lord. And that day I called him. And he said, I'm having a horrible day. I said, thank you. You just made my day. (laughs) Not that I was happy that he was having a bad day. But I felt that I wasn't alone. The Lord wants us to realize that everyone is going through something. And it is normal. Just this week, I was in York. And I saw a friend of 23 years. 25 years we've known each other. They're hip-hop artists in in London. And, um, And I saw him, how you doing? And I just texted him about two months ago. Hey, Robert. How you doing, ma'am? You're on my mind. I'm praying for you. And he never replied. So when I saw him in York, I was like, what's up, man? And he was so ashamed. He was just like, oh. And he, he even got on his knees, you know. And I thought, it's all right. It's all right. And, but, but, but listen, he told me. Listen, I lost my sister. A week later to the day her husband died. Then my dad died. And it was just like all these things were going on. And again, we got to enter into that time of fellowship. We are not the only ones going through things. And the devil wants to do something. Isolate us. Hyenas. Tigers. Panthers. All these predators. The key is to isolate, to get us alone, discouraged. And the Bible speaks about together. 
Do not neglect the assembling together. This morning we had, we, we were here and Bart was practicing worship and uh, we, we had three people there praying and then we had people in the sound and I said, Bart, we got to pray. And he's like, oh, no, 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 we got to practice. And, and I hate, I really hate, my character usually is like, okay, go ahead. But in that moment, that's like, no, no, Bart, we need to be together. Let's just pray. And he goes, all right. And we went, and I said, okay, let's do the Bono style, the, the singer. And we just all held hands, about 15 of us, and just prayed for this morning. And in that moment, we, we, we all felt strengthened. Why? Because we were together, not isolated. Next, the devil loves to discourage us making us feel useless, keeping us from flourishing. First Peter says, 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There's that feeling of insignificance that feeling that we have nothing to bring to the table, that feeling that everybody else is so gifted but us. And Peter says, each one of you has a gift. Minister it to one another. Turn to Romans 12 with me because we looked at that last week. But look at Romans 12. We looked at offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. In verse 3 it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Well, listen. So he says, listen, guys. None of you should think higher of yourself than you should. But in a sense, he's also saying, none of you should think of yourself any less than you should. Sometimes we think of humility of just having bad thoughts about ourselves. But reality is just having less thoughts about ourselves. Where we don't think about it as much. But that we have a gift. We have something that we can give. And it says this. For as we have many members in one body, so our body has many parts, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And prophecy, sometimes we just think that it is telling the future. But prophecy says, he who prophesies speaks exhortation, edification, and comfort to men in, in 1 Corinthians 14. And that simply means that we are able to speak the word of God into people's lives. Sometimes you might be able to encourage somebody just by giving them a verse. Sometimes you might be able to encourage somebody or to speak to somebody by putting some, saying something to them, an encouraging word that God has put into your heart. Or maybe even an exhortive word. An exhortation is to call people alongside what you're already doing. Maybe an exhortive word, man, why don't you plug in? Or why don't you, you know, just whatever it is, but to, to actually minister to one 
another. Notice this. Prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministry, ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Notice this. You have a diversity of gifts and you have one body and the best that the best way that a diversity of gifts works is by humility and by actually exercising that gift that God has given us. Denise became a Christian and she didn't feel the need to go to church. And one of her friends said to her, you know what, maybe you don't need church without which... I believe we all need to be together. <laughs> but maybe church needs you. The gifts. And you know what? The devil loves to keep people undeveloped. Just, you know, kind of like a despot, like uh, Kim Jong-un. And they're in North Korea. But his father, you know, at one point he made the people believe there was a famine. And he made the people believe the sawdust was nutritious. I mean, think about that. He loves to keep people down. And, 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 and here you have Paul saying, you know, as each one has received a gift, if you are discouraged today, if you do not know what your gift is, if he's making you think that you are worthless, listen, there's no worthless person here. Everybody here is worth the blood of Jesus. Everybody is valuable. Everybody has dignity. And God doesn't just give, just doesn't love us and die for us and raise, but he gifts us so that we will bear fruit, so that we will be useful, so we will be productive in the kingdom of God and the, and the church of the living God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, prophecy, discerning of spirit. And notice, if you look at verse, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 22, it says this. It, it, it says this amazing little word, 12, 22, it says, it says, not much rather, it says, and, and verse 31, and the eye cannot say of the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker, listen to this, those members of the body that seem to be weaker are the most necessary. Denise at church. She's no longer here with us. She lives in England now. And Martin. These are two people that you don't notice much when they are here, but you sure miss them when they are gone. <laughs> I remember Denise, just a gift of compassion, a gift of To be there for the suffering. And it is one of the most important gifts that we can bear 
a gift of compassion. To be able to weep with those who weep, to be able to care for those that are going, to have that empathy and to be able to say, let's pray together. All these things are useful. And the devil wants us to think that we are useless. And I have a friend who's an artist, and he was so nervous to go speak at this conference, and uh, he kept going back to, 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 to do this, uh, to prepare, and I just said to him, what's ordinary to you is extraordinary to other people. So maybe you have a gift that seems ordinary to you. But my goodness, when you share that with other people, it is extraordinary. Think about it. The pituitary gland. Have you ever heard of that? It's a gland right here. The kind of people thought it was useless. It was just an unseen part. Didn't do very much. And now they've realized, my goodness, that it controls the balance of your hormones in your whole body. Those parts that seem weaker are actually the most important. Another attack of the devil is to make, it, make us impatient with the lack of progress in our lives or in those around us. You can read biographies, you can lead someone to the Lord, or you can maybe be in, have a relationship with someone that does not know the Lord. And, and you know, the reality is that sometimes we can just grow so weary in doing good. I was talking to a pastor in New York who's pastoring in, um, he's an actor and he's pastoring in, in Ireland, in West Ireland. Uh, his, uh, the, another church that he's connected with, the pastor is a big wave surfer. He wants to wave, uh, surf Nazar Nazareth, which is the largest wave in the world. And they are just quite a trendy, uh, quite a trendy bunch over there. And, and he, the, the supermarkets call him up and he says, look, I've got 50 turkeys. And, and he was delivering those turkeys to poor people around the area. And, um, and he's like, my goodness, I'm delivering these turkeys. I'm building these relationships. One person gave their life to the Lord. But I'm in Bible study. And as I'm teaching, this lady is just so nice. And she's just so eager to hear about the Lord. But when her child misbehaves, she says, Sonny, you better clean it up or I'm going to break your ten fingers. And the guy's is like, oh, my goodness. We don't break fingers around here, you know. But the reality is sometimes it is those people or those actions in serving in a community that we need to realize take time. People don't change right away. And sometimes you can be serving the Lord in different areas and you see no fruit for a season in a person's life. And you can grow weary in doing good. But you know what? Just to realize that the devil wants to make us feel discouraged because we see no progress. Maybe you see no progress in your life. Or maybe you took 10 steps forward and you take two steps back and you are completely discouraged. You're like, oh, I, I, I thought by now I would see more progress in my Christian life. But the reality is 
that there is progress. Things that don't seem impressive to us could very well be impressive to God. Think of the widow when she threw her two coins in the temple and everybody else was just giving their big things. They're giving their abundance of stuff. And Jesus says, listen, I've got an object lesson right now. Come on, everybody here. Disciples, come. He says, I want you to know that this woman today gave more than everybody else. Everybody, huh? How is that? You see, she gave out of her need. You gave out of the abundance. Or they gave out of the abundance. And so the economy of God is not the results that we see, but the faithfulness in the heart by which we do it. <laughs> Another tactic is to become weary in doing good. In 1952, Florence Chaddick traveled with a team of swim, uh, to, to, uh, with a team to go swim from Southern California to Catalina Island, 26 miles. 15 hours into it, a thick fog, like happens there in Southern California, began to set, clouding her vision and clouding her confidence. She signaled to her team that she, of her, in, her insecurity. And one hour later, she gave up. Afterwards, she discovered that she quit one mile from the shore. One mile. Because she got discouraged from the fog. And you know that we have to be careful of those tactics. Do not become weary in doing good. For in due time, you will reap if you do not lose heart. And finally, distractions. Distraction is another tactic. A lack of perspective can cause us to focus on the wrong things and cause us to grow discouraged. Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, he was asked one day why he, why he always wore the same gray T-shirt. And he responded these words. I really want to clear my life so that I have to make as few decisions as possible about anything except how to best serve this community. I'm in this really lucky position where I get to wake up every, every day and help serve more than a billion people. And I feel like I'm not doing my job if I spend any of my energy on things that are silly or frivolous about my life so that I can dedicate all of my energy towards just building the best product and services. My goodness. And you might say, 
I don't minister to a billion people. And I would say, well, he doesn't impact people for eternity. We do. And it's amazing in our lives how easily we allow ourselves to be distracted. And that's why Paul prays in Colossians chapter 1 that we would have clarity. Paul, said, Paul prays, I pray that you will be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of his will, that you would know what he's doing, that you would know how he likes things done. That you would please them. That you will be fruitful. That you will be able to endure when things get tough. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. That you will be filled. That you would know the, how, what an heir you are. That you will be filled with the, with the uh, knowledge of him. That you may know the hope of his calling. Just how incredibly amazing it is to belong to Jesus. That's why in Hebrews is written that we would see that Jesus is greater than anything on earth. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays that they will be made strong. And one of the things that thrills me when, I, when we come here is that we go to our places of work, to our places of influence, to the places where, where we, we, we shop, the places where we go to the doctor, the places where we live. And, it does, and we can tell people it doesn't matter how dark your life has been or if life has robbed you of, moral, of morality, innocence, chastity, or purity. You may be a thief or a robber or a drunkard or an adulterer or worse things. You could be anything. It doesn't matter. The world will dismiss you and label you as the trash of society. But we can tell people that there's hope in Jesus Christ. We're there to let them know that in Jesus, there's eternal hope that through him and his atoning death and resurrection, he reconciles people through the tender mercy of God. In other words, the devil would want to discourage us and distract us from the greatness of the message that we carry. I don't know about what you, what you guys think, but my goodness... When sometimes I've gone to share with people and I just feel like, you know, as, I, as, I, as I'm sharing with people, I just feel like my words are falling to the ground. I feel like it is meaningless. I feel like what in the world am I talking about? And then all of a sudden you, you, you begin to realize, well, one of the things that happened to me is that it's, it's not just me speaking. When I speak to anybody, the Holy Spirit is dealing with that person. And the message we have is the most important message for that person. To dignify them, to bless them, to forgive them, to encourage them, to transform them. It is incredible. And we carry a message. We carry the message of Jesus. We even carry Jesus himself, who is greater than any caricature that people might make of him. Jesus is bigger than we think. No matter how well you know the Lord, Jesus is bigger. 
Job, who was the most righteous man on earth, he said, finally, at, at, to, after, at the end of the book, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Jesus was bigger than he thought. John, in Revelation 1.17, he had leaned on Jesus' shoulder. He had seen Jesus part, the, Red, I mean, part the, the Sea of Galilee, or calm it, rather. He had seen him um, remove demons from the guy at the cemetery and, and from Mary Magdalene. I mean, he had seen all, Jesus do all kinds of stuff, even die and rise and even ascend. Even Pentecost he experienced. And then he's, in Revelation 1.17, he says he saw Jesus and he fell down as dead. No matter how well we know Jesus, Jesus is bigger yet. Like the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings, one of my favorite verses, 1 Kings 10.5. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service at his waters, and, and, and their apparel, his cupbearers, and the entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Listen, there was no more spirit left in her. She was overwhelmed by the majesty of Solomon. And when Jesus came on earth, he says, one greater than Solomon stands here today. She was overwhelmed. The impact of Jesus is beyond measure. Architecture, some of the greatest architectural achievements in Europe built, were built for worship, the worship of Jesus. Art, some of the world's most beautiful art created to honor him. You go to the National British Museum, the, the, the gallery there, and, and one of my favorite pictures is there's the woman caught in adultery with light beaming on her and Jesus next to her. Neither do I condemn you. Music, some of the world's most, most some of the world's most glorious music written to worship him. 2,000 years later, after he was been physically removed from the world, people from all walks of life say that he has saved them from drugs, illness, suicide, depression, and hopelessness. The sacrifices made in his name, people forsook personal gain to feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked, and heal the sick. No matter how well you think you know Jesus, Jesus is greater still. And I'll read these words. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is internally steadfast. He is immortally gracious. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is gr the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizons of the globe. He is God's son. He is the sinner's savior. He is the captive's ransom. He is the breath of life. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He is august and he is unique. He is unparalleled and he is unprecedented. He is undisputed and undefiled. He is un surpassed and he is unshakable he is the lofty idea of philosophy he is the highest personality in psychology he is the supreme subject in literature he is the unavoidable problem of higher criticism he is the fundamental doctrine of theology he is the cornerstone and the capstone and the stumbling stone of all religion he is the miracle of all the ages and are we gonna let the devil discourage us when we belong to him Isn't that amazing? And the Bible, the Old Testament, 
Speaking of Jesus, the gospel present Jesus, the acts Jesus preached, epistles Jesus explained, in Revelation Jesus expected. Everything in Paul's life was in relation to Jesus. For me to live as Christ, and to, <laughs> at one point he goes, oh, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors who, for him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, nothing, nor height, nor death, nor anything in creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Are we going to let the devil discourage us when we have such resources? We cannot yield to the temptation. It is the privilege of our lives to know him. And no matter how much you think you know of him, there's more to be known. You, he is inexhaustible. He will deeply fulfill you. And Peter was tempted. Jesus said to him, Hey, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but not if you come back. When you come back, strengthen others. And it's so encouraging because sometimes God allows us to go through stuff. And then he strengthens us. And when we see other people going through stuff, instead of being proud and thinking, you poor little guy, if you were just a cool Christian like me, no, you're able to say, oh my goodness, I've gone through stuff like that too. And he is faithful. And he is good. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. just want to close with one story. We're going to take communion together to appreciate. I think sometimes people get so weird when they take communion. It's like, oh, I don't know if I've sinned. If you've sinned, if you feel guilty and condemned, that's why we take communion. We take communion because he gave his life for us to pay for our sins. I mean, to get cleaned up and say, okay, I'm going to go take communion, that's, that's an oxymoron. We go to communion because he died for us. But the story I was going to tell you is from Jennifer. She passed away last year, diagnosed with cancer. And it's one of those things that I, I, it's happened several t times in my life that where you just have an intuitive thing. And Barry called me and he said, Raph, uh, Jennifer's sick. And she had been sick. And I said to Loretta, we got to go see her. We, did not, we had gone to see her like once a week or once every few. Loretta would go more. And then we had people in the church serving meals. And, but I just had this thing. We need to go see her. So I said, I'll go see her. And then you come with the kids. I come down. I take the kids. And you go up. And there we were. And she's on, on, on the phone with her, with her dad saying goodbye. And she's crying. I mean, we say goodbye if we're saying goodbye for a week. 
I mean, sorry, we cry if we say goodbye for a week. Or when, when Zuli's parents were here, they saw each other and they cried. And when they say goodbye, tears because they're parting from each other. Imagine parting for God knows how long. And she's crying. And she hangs up the phone and she says, Rafa, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I love Jesus. I love the Lord Jesus. She says, I'm going to see Jesus. And then she said, actually, it wasn't her. I think it was, uh, it was um, Megan that said, no eye has seen. This is our favorite verse. No eye has seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared to, for those who love him. And then I left. Loretta came. Well, we prayed. And then Loretta came. And uh, they had a wonderful time together. Very deep, special time. And then Barry told me that he kissed her on the cheek. She had the oxygen mask on. And she said, Aww. And passed away. The hope we have. To look at death. Not like Stoics. I'm going to be strong. You can be gentle. You can be frail. But with confidence in the strength of Jesus. We have such hope. He is so great.